Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of Industry Seating. It's Sunday, April 18th, and I'm back in Boise. Very excited. I am your host, Jason Thomas, if you didn't know that already. If you didn't know that, then I would ask if you were lost. Because we are on, what, episode 64 or something like that, which is just mind-blowing to me. We're like a year and a half into this podcast, which is pretty cool. I love how it's going. I really appreciate everybody listening. It's been a really fun project for me, and I hope to continue this on for years. You know, this whole Pulpamex network and my, you know, my own growth in this podcast has been awesome. And yeah, just looking forward to seeing where this takes me. Looking forward to seeing. That's probably not great grammar. Anyway, so what do we learn in the Atlanta residencies? We have lots of things to talk about, lots of notes to go over. Want to quickly mention the sponsors of this podcast. Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, Blenzol Oils, 612 Suspension, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and of course Fly Racing. I'll get into those in a little bit here, but let's jump right into 50s. I don't know what more you can really say about Nate Thrasher. I didn't expect any of this. You know, I have followed his amateur career a little bit. Remember, he was on the TLD KTM amateur program, and I'm sure that's a pretty difficult blow for those guys to be going through. Tyler Keefe and the crew have to be suffering a bit, and knowing him, I can guarantee you that he is, just watching the success that Nate Thrasher's having right after he switches over from that program. But these things happen. It's not the first time we've seen a, you know a phenom leave a team and head to the other side and have great success. Uh, I could go through a whole list of riders who were, you know, on team green maybe and switched to Geico Honda or Warren Suzuki and switched to wherever and uh, found success moving forward, right? Eli Tomac was a Suzuki rider his entire amateur career and then made the switch to Honda. Then finally made the switch to Kawasaki and the rest is history. So this isn't anything new. It's just a little bit of a painful unfolding because Nate Thrasher's results are kind of coming out of nowhere. You look at how he won these two rounds. You know, he went 1-4-1 in Atlanta, and he had to win two LCQs to get there. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody win the LCQ in the 250 class and win the main event, let alone twice in a week. I'm sure it's been done, so, you know, if if anybody wants to take the time to look that up, that's great. But to do it twice in a week, that's, that's seriously incredible. And I was actually in Tennessee uh, in the middle of the week, I went up there, drove up there on Wednesday, was was visiting dealers on Thursday, and a local dealer in middle, what was it, uh, 
Middlecook? I can't remember the name of the town. That's, 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 that's on me. But Nate Thrasher often visits that dealer and his father, he's from that area. His dad visits there, I should say. And they were obviously very excited about his results. And then of course he goes and wins the next Saturday again. So good for him. Obviously his future is looking very bright and really going into this series, you know, the first few rounds were pretty tough for both he and Jarrett Fry. And I think there were being some questions asked, right? Everyone was kind of wondering what's going to happen here. Are these guys going to make it? You know, the, the monster star Yamaha team doesn't have a lot of patience and they never really have. If you don't pan out early, they typically move on because they have a a lot of people waiting for that bike and they have, you know, a a nice amateur program and they have this, this system like this farm system. And, and on top of that, they're not scared to go out and poach talent from elsewhere too, because as I mentioned, everybody wants to be on that bike. So they kind of get the, the pick of who they want. Uh, so it's really important for these guys to perform and perform early. And, and Nate Thrasher's is doing it now, Jarrett Fry, eh, I'm a little, little nervous about how that's going to go. And if, you know, Bobby Reagan and the crew over there are going to, are going to continue to invest in him. We'll have to see, but man, if he, if he doesn't perform this summer, you know, it's not my place to say, and I hate to be, I hate to be a skeptic on someone's career and their, you know, contracts and stuff like that. I've just seen that team move on from riders really, really quickly. Now, as for their other teammate, Justin Cooper, who happens to be your points leader, shaping up pretty nicely, right? He hasn't been dominant. And frankly, you could make the case for him underperforming a tiny bit because really, if he gets a whole shot there, he's supposed to win. He's highly paid. He is your points leader. He will likely be your West Coast Supercross champion. But he has been twice in a week, both Saturdays, he was unable to beat his teammate straight up, right? And and especially in the second round uh, last night, for those of you who are going to be listening to this on Sunday night, he got the whole shot and was passed by his teammate. And then, you know, Justin was unable to really do anything about it. Now you could make the case that yes, he's racing for a championship and he's not going to take unnecessary risk. And of course, you know, there, there probably is a little bit to that, but at the same time, wouldn't you expect Justin Cooper to be able to ride a managed and controlled race and beat Nate Thrasher is his rookie teammate. I would. So I found that a little bit puzzling and man, I just felt like Justin Cooper would have more than that. And I don't know if I just drew too strong of conclusions leaving Orlando one, or if I'm just used to seeing Justin Cooper get out front and kind of run away when he's, you know, he is a very confident and comfortable rider when he gets a whole shot. I just think he's been doing that his entire life. So that's where he feels most comfortable. And he just didn't have the pace to beat Thrasher. Now, I think part of it were the whoops were incredibly difficult. And I don't think that's really a strength of Justin Cooper. You know, he's a great starter. He's good in the turns. Uh, He has a lot of solid aspects to his overall repertoire. But I don't think, you know, really difficult, nasty whoops are necessarily that. So Nate Thrasher being a little bit taller just seemed like he had an edge there. And he was able to exploit that in kind of a heads-up battle between those two. But... For Cooper, you kind of just shrug your shoulders and say, who cares, right? You probably left, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 grand on the table by not winning the race, but the championship is the goal. And now you have a 20 point lead 
over Hunter Lawrence and a 22-point lead over Cameron McAdoo. And that shapes up really nicely. Everything is going your way. You just have to avoid disaster. And if you look at how strong Justin Cooper starts are now that they, you know, whatever they change, they've got it sorted because he's getting off the gate really well now. After a really tough few outings, just the starts kind of went away. And they're back. So whatever changes they made to the bike, and, and I believe they did. I believe they've changed either tires or gearing or ECU settings or something. Uh, because consistently he's coming off the gate very nicely now. And he's putting himself in a situation where there is really no trouble to be had. And I think you're going to see that in Salt Lake. You know, that bike is clearly the fastest bike on the track. And that that's just my opinion. But I think we see that time and time again with those guys getting the starts on both coasts. And then you go to Salt Lake starting next Saturday and then the following Saturday. And that advantage is even heightened because of the elevation, you know, lack of horsepower, lack of oxygen, creating less torque and less horsepower is going to give even more of an edge to the faster bike. So I I expect Justin Cooper, especially, and probably Nate Thrasher to be up front. And I expect Colt Nichols and Christian Craig to be up front on both of their, both of their starts on their weekend as well. So uh, more of the same. I think this this championship is basically over in in the 250 uh, West class. I think Cooper has this ring wrapped up. Of course, something could happen. You know, you always wonder what ifs, but I don't think Justin Cooper really has to take any chances. You know, if Hunter Lawrence gets out front and takes off and puts Cooper under pressure, I think he can just slowly move up. You know, these guys are so much better than a lot of the class. He can take his time and move forward. And even if he gave up seven, eight, 10 points in a main event, eh, whatever. You know, I guess it's not the end of the world. That's the cushion he's created. I don't expect that. I think he's going to get a good start and end up on the podium again, which in effect ends it, um, not mathematically, but for all intents and purposes, I kind of think this thing's over. Cameron McAdoo. Oh man, I am, uh, I have to choose my words carefully here because I don't want it to seem like I'm negative on Cameron I really like him. He's always been very nice. I like the way he approaches people and situations and sponsors, and he does it all right. But when I'm watching him on the racetrack, it's making me a little nervous. And I thought Kyle Chisholm was pretty brave to put his tweet out there basically saying that, you know, McAdoo's kind of a hazard right now. And I can't really disagree with that. And, and I know that McAdoo is the darling of the sport right now. And that's not that's not wrong, right? He has shown a ton of heart and a ton of determination. That's all fair and that's all accurate. But at the same time, you look at how many crashes he's been in, how many crashes he's caused and how many crashes have been of his own doing simply by riding over his head. In my opinion, I don't know how else you can look at some of the crashes. It's just, he is pushing the envelope too far. And I get it. You know, that's Adam Cincerello tweeted me basically saying, that that riding over his head is coming from he, him just wanting it so much. And that that's okay, but there's got to be a line drawn in the sand, right? Everybody wants it, but at, to the extent of you're going to hurt yourself or hurt others around you, there's got to be a line where you say, okay, I need to back this down a little bit, or I'm going to severely injure myself or someone around me. And I, I think we're, we were approaching that point almost every race in Atlanta. And uh, I, for, for his own safety, I hope, that he can just take it down one or 2% because I think he can be a podium guy every week. If he does back it down one or 2% where he's at right now, 
I don't think is sustainable. And he could, he could fire back or Cincerulo could fire back and say, well, that's what it takes for me to win. Okay, fine. But I don't think you're going to win very often. I think you're going to end up on your head more times than you're going to win. Are you ever going to win? Maybe, right? Maybe there's that, that window where you put 16 minutes together on the edge like that. That's possible. But I think most times you're going to end up crashing because you're taking too many chances and you can't get away with that many close calls before it bites you. That's just how, that's just where I come down on it. And my opinion means nothing. I, you know, I know I'm sure he doesn't care. And in the end, I'm only looking out for his safety. I just been around this for a long time. I did it myself for a long time. And I think when you hear veterans saying like, uh, this is not a sustainable level of effort or risk taking, there's something to it. You know, it's not just me. There are other people saying the same thing. So hopefully he can find that balance. And I think in the end, that's really what it is, is just a balance. You have to be willing to take some risk. There is absolutely that, but you also have to find the balance of where you can put lap after lap after lap together without, without endangering yourself or everyone around you. So I'm sure that's something that will be talked about with he and his team. And, you know, he has a really smart person in his corner of Nick way. And I will reach out to Nick uh, at some point and just get his thoughts. But Nick was really never a risk taker. Nick rode in his zone of control where he was managing risk at all times. And he was doing things and seeing things coming at him. He didn't crash a lot. He didn't take big chances. So I don't think this is necessarily where, Nick wants Ramit, you know, Cameron McAdoo to be at, I don't think this is how he's drawing it up. So I'm sure they're having some heavy heart, heart to heart conversations and we'll see, uh, see how he's able to bounce back as we roll into Salt Lake. Hunter Lawrence. I really think Hunter's overperforming. If anybody remembers how terrible he was riding terribly, he was riding in Salt Lake last summer. Cause I do, I was there and I put him on my fantasy team at one of the rounds and he didn't even make the main event. It was horrific. He was nowhere near the level of what he's riding now. So kudos to him. Great job. Great effort. Improving. I'm sure riding with his brother all the time has helped him a ton. Maybe the bike is significantly better than, you know, the bike of last year. I wouldn't doubt that, right? Jed has certainly looked better moving over to the factory Honda effort, but everything about his game has improved. I really think it was kind of a letdown in the main event because if you watched qualifying sessions, if you watched his heat race, he looked like a lock to win. I, I thought he was really going to run away with a thing. And yeah, he's just not getting himself in a, in a good position on the early laps. And the times that he does, he makes a mistake at a costly time. It's just not all there yet. I think it's coming because the level of improvement I've seen from him is really difficult to do. Not many people can make the jump, especially in less than a year than, than he's made. So if he can continue on, if he can stay healthy going into Lucas all pro, pro motocross, he's going to be a force to be dealt with because remember these guys, you know, especially Hunter, he didn't ride supercross. He went straight from Australia to Europe and went into the MX two class as part of the MXGP series. And all he did was ride outdoor motocross every day. That was the focus. That was the concern training for a world championship in, you know, the MX2 class, Supercross had, was an afterthought and, and he's had to relearn or learn even for the first time that skill after he had become professional. So I give a lot of credit to his ability to kind of figure this out on the fly. 
uh, because you just don't see many people able to do that. You know, once you get past that younger age, you get that 15, 16, 17, and then you have to try to catch up to the kids that have already got a couple years under their belt. It's, it's generally, it's kind of a difficult undertaking. And from what I saw, it looked like it was really difficult for Hunter Lawrence to figure out. And then all of a sudden he just clicks this year. He's just got it. Uh, so yeah, really bright days ahead from him. And remember he's only 21. Like he's super young. You know, we, we've been hearing about him forever. We saw his, you know, kind of breakout rides. You know, he was great at motocross of nations in Matterly basin in 20, where was that? 2018, uh, whatever. I, I think it was 2018. Uh, he was awesome at the, uh, USGP in Jacksonville, uh, was that 2019? I don't remember these, all these years run together, but we've seen him have these breakout rides. So it wasn't shocking for him to be good, especially outdoors. But I think his acceleration, the acceleration curve and his improvement level has been, has been awesome to watch. And he's a really nice kid and really young. So, uh, those two names, Hunter and Jet Lawrence are going to be, I think in our, in our vocabulary constantly, uh, for the next decade or so. That's it for the 250s again. I think it's kind of over. You know, the I think Justin Cooper has this thing wrapped up. We will get a taste of the uh, the East Coast series back. And you know, it's funny. Steve Mathis was saying last night, like, man, I'm I'm ready to see that again. And gosh, when when we went away from that series, we were ready to be done with it. You know, it was injury depleted. The results were very predictable. So it'll be interesting to see if we immediately go back to that, oh man, this is boring again, or if it'll be a nice change up. Uh, I kind of fired back and I'm like, do you remember how, how over it we were when that series was switching over from, from East to West? And he was like, yeah, but I, I'm just looking forward to the, the Craig Nichols battle again, which is, which is fair. I just don't think there's, there's much more to that series past that, but it will be nice to see a, a new group of riders again. 450 class. We will do the industry seating power rankings, of course, and I have some notes uh, on each of these guys as we roll through. Your honorable mentions, I'll start with first. Uh, I have Joey Savacci and Dean Wilson. And Joey has been teetering. Last week he was number 10, and he's been teetering right on the edge of being in this top 10. And and with that 12th place finish, I think maybe he crashed late. I I don't know. I was so enthralled in that battle for the lead, which we'll get to that I'm not exactly sure how he ended up 12th, but he's been riding really well. I like the way, you know, his fitness is there. His starts are good. Um, so I have him right on the borderline here. Dino, you know, we all saw him not qualify on, uh, last Saturday at the first Atlanta round, which was, had to be just brutal psychologically for him. And then he bounces back. He rides really well at round two. He gets an eighth place at round three. So whatever that was that went on at the first round, which was really just happenstance, right? Crashes and he made mistakes at inter-opportune times. You can't crash in qualifying races. That's just a rule. And yeah, he sorted that out and uh, put some solid results on the backside of that. So moving past that, number 10, Dylan Ferrandis. I still feel like we're not getting everything we can from Ferrandis yet. He was out front in that heat race. He goes down. like He has more in the tank than he's showing us. There is more speed on tap from Dylan Frandis than the results are indicating. I just don't know if we're going to get it, right? We only have two races left. So unless he puts it all together, we may be pointing towards outdoors, which he could absolutely do, right? He could, he could go out and run away and win a moto. That would not shock me whatsoever. But we may have to wait until next Supercross season to see him really make good on the speed that he's had to display in the Supercross season. He just really hasn't put it all together 
in one race, right? The, there have been a few where I thought he was going to get it done. And you go back to the Houston rounds where, man, it looked like he was going to win. Like he was reeling those guys in. And then it's just ever since then, it's been just kind of a waiting game. You just, when's it going to show up? When is Dylan Francis going to come out of a shell in it? Two rounds to go, and we're still kind of waiting. Number nine, Malcolm Stewart, Mookie. Uh, Mookie had a huge crash on Tuesday. I wasn't even sure that he was going to ride on Saturday. He was in the medic truck on Tuesday night and was hobbling really badly. But then he comes out and is firing on Saturday. You know, he looked like he had, was able to get rid of the soreness and really showing no signs of any sort of injury or uh, residual effects from that Tuesday crash. If anybody was able to watch him in the whoops, especially in timed qualifying, simply unbelievable. I mean, he was amazing. And that's really the Mookie that I expected to see more of in 2021. Just that mind-blowing whoop speed and able to put it at the top of the board seemingly at will. We haven't seen a lot of that. We've seen a lot of controlled, uh, predictable Mookie, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's good for his career, I think. But I you know, on the excitement level, the send it Mookie is, uh, is a little bit more fun to watch. So we got a little bit of that on Saturday. So nice result, puts it back in the top 10 where he belongs. And I'm still kind of waiting on outdoors news, right? For Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. I don't know what the plan is. If he's racing, I know he's been testing some, he's been riding. So I would assume there's an announcement coming. We'll see. I, I don't think he's planned on riding leading into this series? I don't know. I, I should probably do a little digging there, but I know people have been digging and haven't gotten any real answers yet. So we'll see what, what shakes out there. Number eight, Marvin Muscan. Okay, ride. Not anything great, not anything terrible, but he did crash in the main event, which didn't, no, that was in the heat race. Excuse me. He did crash in the heat race in the whoops, which if you know anything about my analysis of Marvin Muscan, that's always been a concern. When the whoops are incredibly difficult and you have no choice but to blitz, that's a big problem for Marvin. And it, you know, it reared its ugly head in the heat race. And I think in the main event, it took a toll as well. He's just a tick off of his competitors when the situation goes that way. He's a great rider. It's, it's not a, I'm not indicting him. It's just his weakness. I think lots of people have weaknesses. Some people can't get good starts consistently. I would say Eli Tomac is that guy. Other people have uh, a little bit of a mental letdown at times. Ken Roxon, we'll get into that, right? I just think Muscan's weaknesses, when the whoops are their most difficult to blitz and it's really your only option, Marvin kind of gives up too much. There's just too much, of a, too much of a difficulty to overcome for him to be in podium contention. Number seven, Chase Sexton. Kind of a tough night for Chase. You know, he came off of two incredible rounds, the first two. He went, uh, he got second place at both rounds. Really nice job. And he really looked like he was ready to, he's going to take that next step. And then he has a difficult one. And I think that this is just chalked up to rookie mistakes. It happens in the 450 class. If you make a mistake, if you crash, if you just do something dumb, it's hard to make up for it. The class is too deep and there's too much talent inside the top 10 to just charge back through, which is what a guy would do in the 250 class. If, if he was still on a 250, let's say last year, and he crashed just like he did last night, he would charge back up to probably the podium, easily top five. You're just not going to do that in this 450 class, especially this year where there isn't a huge injury bug, especially at the front of the class. 
The back end of the class, there are a lot of guys out, but the front end is fairly healthy. We have what, three, four guys out, you know, Cincerillo, Osborne, Brayton. There are a few, but uh, overwhelmingly it's, it's pretty healthy. So it, it doesn't shock me to see Sexton have two good ones and a bad one. That's kind of what rookies do. If you look at Osborne's career, if you look at Cincerillo, uh, now Sexton, that's just what happens for guys. They're, they're sorting it out. They're figuring out how to be successful week in and week out in this class, and it just takes time. Number six, I have Jason Anderson. And I really thought Anderson would be on the podium last night. And I think he did too. He was the fastest rider in all three qualifying sessions. And that doesn't really happen very often for him. I don't know if ever. I don't know if he's ever done that. So when you look at that, you look at him go out and he kills it in his heat race. Everything was clicking for Anderson. And it looked like a podium was inbound. Then he nails the start in the the main event. He's right up there. And then he crashes. He gets caught up with... Uh, I'm trying to think who we crashed with Sexton. Maybe was that, was that the crash they both went down in? I, I should probably go back and look, but either way, uh, Anderson goes down. He <laughs> cuts the track, goes flying down this straightaway and just jumps right in back into the middle of the pack. He ends up getting docked for that loses three spots, which was fair. I, I think it was justified because he did not make any attempt to reenter the track in the safest spot. And he went wide open, uh, similarly to, uh, to what he did at Arlington, a little bit shorter of a straightaway. But I think after Arlington, they were probably like, hey, dude, you keep doing this. We're just going to keep penalizing you. And I think three spots is probably fair. A couple notes about the sponsors here. Pirelli Tires is about to launch a new set of mini tires. Now, this is going to be similar to what they have on the, you know, the big bike tires, but it is a MX32 mid-soft. And for those of you that are longtime listeners, you know that I absolutely love that tire I've run that tire in a very similar spec for a very long time. It was the, the tire I used in my final year of racing in 2012. It's a tire I used to take over to Europe to race Supercross with. The straight line acceleration on it was uh, rarely duplicated. There was one other tire in my career that I, I used that I felt like was on par with that, but it wasn't as versatile as the Midsoft MX32 from Pirelli was. So thank you to, for, to Pirelli Tires and check out those Midsoft mini tires that are coming out for all of you, uh, you moto dads and, uh, yeah, kids, if you're listening as well, Plum Creek funding, if you've been following the business world, you know that the federal reserve is claiming they're not going to raise interest rates until 2022. We'll see if that happens, right? There's a lot of speculation around that. So what does that mean for you? That means that you have an opportunity to refinance your house for a lower interest rate or to buy a new house for a very low interest rate for a little bit longer. It's going to give you more time because one thing creates another, right? As the federal reserve starts to raise rates, then home interest rates follow, right? And vice versa. I also read an article from the wall street journal last week. They said there were, they needed 4 million new homes to be built to meet the demand right now nationwide, right? There are so many people that are moving out of urban areas because of their ability to work remotely People are avoiding coronavirus, right? They're, they're trying to avoid crowded areas. And there's just been this mass exodus out of big cities and into the country or suburbia, I should say. Well, that's creating this massive demand for single family homes, right? All the people that were in duplexes or they were in, in high rises, right? I know a lot of families that live in high rises, especially and it's more of a European thing, but it, it definitely happens in big cities in America. All those people are moving 
out to the suburbs to get a yard and a house so they can have a home office, right? If they're able to work from home, they need a lot more space to be able to do that. Imagine if both parents were able to work from home. Think about how much more space you would need for those parents to be able to do their jobs effectively from home. So it's just creating this this huge rise in demand for homes and, and people just can't keep up. If you look at uh, lumber, lumber costs, any sort of building supply costs, they're all skyrocketing because demand is going through the roof. So if you have a house, not a bad time to sell. Of course, that means you need to go buy something else. But most importantly, you need to take advantage of these rates. If you have no plans of moving, great. Why don't you call Zach Morris at Plum Creek Funding and ask how he can save you some money on doing a refi? Go back and look at the history of interest rates on homes. We're at the lowest we've ever been, right? Maybe a couple months ago it was lower, but historically we've never seen anything like this and we probably won't ever again because what's going to happen is once rates start to rise, right? We're going to get some sort of inflation in the next couple of years because of all this spending. Rates are going to go up and they're not going to come down for a very long time. Taxes are going to go up. Interest rates are going to go up because we're going to need to recoup all this spending, the trillions of dollars of spending that have gone on. And inflation is going to be a bit of a casualty of that. So interest rates are kind of the regulator, right? As inflation goes up, they use interest rates to slow the economy a bit, which slows inflation a bit too, right? So it's kind of a governor. The the Federal Reserve uses it as a, a faucet to slow and at times they can use it to uh, heat up the economy as well. They've been doing that for the past, what, year, year and a half, a little over a year anyway. They've been trying to warm the economy up, so they've been lowering interest rates. Well, as we start to see inflation, they're going to go the opposite direction. At some point, they're saying in 2022, 2023, they're going to start tapering their buying of bonds, and they're going to slowly start to raise interest rates. When that happens, this great deal that we have that Plum Creek Funding can offer will start to fade away a little bit. So don't miss your opportunity. Take advantage of it while it's here. Call Zach, 720-212-4685. I want to thank Guts Racing for being a part of this podcast as well. They sponsor the Rockstar Husqvarna team. So Jason Anderson doing all that great qualifying, using that Guts Racing seat cover. You can make custom graphics. You can make custom seat covers. You can do all kinds of great things. Go to gutsracing.com and go to at Guts Racing on Instagram to check out all the cool designs. And that's, to, for, to me, and for me, I think that's the greatest part is you can be super creative in what you want, right? You have, you own a mattress company. You own a coffee stand. You can have your own graphics. You can call them up and create exactly what you want. Fast Foundry, automation and improving your small business, I think is the greatest asset you can ever have, right? There are so many needs in this new economy that we're rolling into, right? And if you look at the way that business is shaping up. Everything's going to be different moving forward. Business travel's different. The way that business is conducted is different. And you're going to, you know, you're going to need to be as efficient as possible. So I've, I've shared a few stories the past couple of weeks about the ways that you can utilize Fast Foundry for your small business or at, maybe at a big company, right? I work for Western Power Sports, which is quickly becoming a very large company. So I, I live this every day. I watch our IT department and these systems get integrated and it's a constant improving. Fast Foundry can be the tool that you need for your small business to take the next step. So reach out to Robert Carrico at Fast Foundry and fastfoundry.com. Works Connection, promo code there is JT21 at checkout. 
Now, if you've been watching the races, which of course you have, you have, otherwise, why would you listen to this podcast? Who do you think has been getting all the starts, right? Nate Thrasher, Justin Cooper, Ken Roxon, Chase Sexton. You know what they all use? Pro Launch Start Device. Simply put, it's the best starting device in the game. And these factory teams use it for a reason. It's not a mistake. It's not happenstance, not coincidence, right? They choose to use the Pro Launch Start Device because it works. It's consistent. It's easy to install, which is a huge edge they have over the competition. You don't have to be an engineer to put your starting device or install your starting device. I'm not mechanically inclined at all, and I can install this thing. So don't look any further. Go to worksconnection.com and at worksconnection on Instagram. Progo Wash, promo code is MOTO15. For those of you who haven't listened, maybe you skipped through the commercials, which tisk tisk, don't do that. Progo Wash is specifically engineered and designed for power sports use. I did an interview with Ryan Humphrey from Pro Action Fluids and Pro Go Wash a few weeks ago at Arlington. So you can go back and listen to that interview and he lays out exactly why you should be using Pro Glow Wash instead of something like Simple Green or whatever, you know, off the shelf, you know, Walmart style wash that's kind of a do it all. Pro Glow Wash is going to help get that road grime off. You know, if you go to a track that has like a weird dirt makeup, right? We've all been to those tracks where it has like some sort of oil, oily makeup, or maybe it's a dirt that likes to stain your frame or your rims or any of that stuff. I think that's really the power of Pro Glow Wash is to get the most difficult challenges and just the, the weird dirt. And I've, I've ridden all kinds of tracks like that. There's a track called Bithlow in Florida that was really bad about that. And some of the, even some of Lucas Oil Pro Motocross tracks, you ride them and you're like, why is my why is my bike stained with this weird dark tint to it? Or, you know, I was just in Georgia, right? I've been in Georgia for 10 days. And anytime you'd go to Georgia, you'd get that orange clay that wants to stain everything. That's what Pro Glow Wash does well. So you the pro, use the promo code MOTO15. Grandstone Boots, check them out at, at Grandstone Boot on Instagram and grandstoneboot.com. Maybe you work in an office. Maybe you're some high-powered executive like my buddy in Orlando that will go nameless. He's a money manager, and he wears Grandstone boots. Check them out. I have lots of pairs of them. I wear them whenever I can. I don't always wear boots. You know, I don't always dress up for work. But a lot of times if we have vendors in town or if I have an important account in town, I will have to dress and, and look professional, which is very out of character for me. But it happens, and when it happens, I wear Grandstone boots. Premier Vapor Blasting. If you mention the podcast, you will get a 25% discount and go to their Instagram, go to Premier Vapor Blasting, check out all the great work they do. They use this modern restoration process and it's just as it sounds, Vapor Blasting, right? And, and it's only been around for a few years, but when I see the work that they do, I still think it's fake, right? I think it's like Photoshopped because it looks like they took some blown out, beat up part off of a vintage bike and then they posted another picture with a brand new part. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible to, uh, to look and see just how much they can change and improve. So check them out, Premier Bay for blasting and mention the industry seating podcast. 612 suspension. Doesn't matter if you have a dirt bike, street bike, side by side, moped, whatever you have, anything power sports related. If it has suspension on it, 612 suspension can get you dialed in. They're a race tech affiliate, so you know you're getting quality service and quality parts. Ronnie Monk can get you dialed in. Go to at 612 Suspension on Instagram and 612suspension.com to learn more. 
listen, it's riding time, right? Weather's breaking across the Northeast or across all parts of the North. Series are cranking up. It's time to get your dirt bike out and get after it. So before you do that, get your oil changed, get Racetech gold valves put in your bike, reach out to 612 suspension and get dialed in. Blenzol oils, they have a brand new ultra TPI oil. They are very excited about to have a brand new catalog too. Blenzol has been around forever. They're a, kind of a legacy company, right? They're under new ownership and they're making a big push to get back in front of new customers and remind them of the heritage that Blenzol has. So check them out at Blenzol.com and at Blenzol on their Instagram. They sponsor all kinds of riders and shows and all kinds of things, right? MX Vice, Michael Lessey, Jerry Robin, like they're all over the place. Uh, they sponsor one of Steve Mathis's podcasts. So I love the push they're making. They're great people and I'm happy to, uh, to be involved with them. Last but not least, fly racing, new kinetic mesh gear. It should be shipping tomorrow or Tuesday. We've had all kinds of supply chain issues and getting it into warehouses. And it's just the world we live in right now. It doesn't matter if it's microwaves or televisions or, you know, automobiles or kinetic mesh. Uh, everybody is suffering right now from logistical issues because of just the, the boom, right? There's so much business going on. It's, it's slowing everything down. So we're no different, but we're finally ready to rock and roll. So check out all the new kinetic mesh at flyracing.com. Now as for your top five, Justin Barsha, not a bad ride, not a great ride either. He did crash. Um, but it's just kind of, been so-so, right? He's, he's kind of blended in in the pack. We haven't seen him run up front in the main events, but he hasn't had horrific results either, right? It's just, he's almost been invisible to me out there, which is not normal for Barsha. He just hasn't been the headline guy. It's been all about Webb and Roxon and Sexton and, you know, Anderson, all these guys that have been really flashing and then crashing. It's been pretty wild. Like even Plessinger has been up there too. Barsha really hasn't been making a lot of noise. So we'll see like last year when we went to Salt Lake last year, it was just horrible. And I put a lot of that on the motorcycle. He really struggled on drier, dustier conditions on the Yamaha. I think maybe he'll be a little bit better on the gas gas. So let's see if he can get a start and kind of flip the narrative from when we were in Utah last year. Number four, Jason Anderson talked about him in a little bit, but I still think a win's coming and, and we're running out of time here. I thought Atlanta three was a great opportunity for him to get it done. And maybe if he doesn't go down, that's his win to get instead of, uh, the guy that I, you know, ended up winning, which was Cooper Webb. But you got to put some of it on Anderson too, right? You make your own luck in this sport most of the time. And he is riding so well, it's almost a crime that he hasn't found a way to get a win yet, but still time. These conditions going into Salt Lake really favor him. The track conditions, just dry, low traction levels, all that stuff works really well for what Jason Anderson's skill set is. So there's certainly still a great opportunity. He was grew up at elevation, right? New Mexico. So this is all this all works out very nicely for him. I don't think we'll see any sort of altitude sickness problems from him from him anymore. I think he's got that sorted out. So look for Anderson to have some solid results at the last two rounds. Third place, I have Eli Tomac. Kind of a nothing burger night from Tomac at Atlanta 3. I don't really know what to make of this season, right? I I was kind of joking around a little bit with Steve Mathis last summer, but I was serious too, right? He just feels like he's a guy right now. Can he win? Yes. But anytime in the past when we thought about Eli Tomac, we immediately associated with him as being the best, 
Now, whether he won or not, who knows, right? You, you get bad start, you could crash, like he had arm pump issues, mental issues, whatever. But most of the time, if he was in a position to win, he won. That's just what Eli Tomac did. He won three consecutive Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championships because of it. He was your 2020 Monster Energy Supercross Champion because of it. So to see him kind of just be in the pack, right? He can't move forward. Yes, he can win, but he doesn't always have to win. Even if he's at the front, doesn't mean he's going to win. Like that, These are all new dynamics for, for us to work through with Eli Tomac, and I'm still trying to kind of process it. But I think I'm just coming down on the fact that he's lost that advantage. He's just lost a little bit of the edge. I don't think that everyone around him has gotten better. I think he's just taken a step back. And I don't know if it's because priorities have shifted, right? He's, he has a child. He's about to have another child, right? Just some things become less important, right? You don't have to be willing to put it all on the edge all the time. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a little bit less dedication because his life priorities have shifted again, right? Family becomes more important than living and dying on the racetrack in your results, right? That's hyperbole living and dying, but in the results column, right? Where everything matters if you win or don't win. Sometimes you just realize there are more, more important things in life than that. And maybe that's what it is. I, I don't know, right? I'm, I'm, more asking questions than I am presenting answers on Eli Tomac. Number two, Ken Roxon. Uh, he, uh, I don't know how else to say it, man. He, he cracked mentally last night. He should have won that race so easily. He was gone. He was going so fast around halfway. He had an 11 second lead. I didn't have a doubt about who was winning the race. I I was kind of like, yeah, this is over. Like that, that's your winner, Ken Roxon. He's gone. No problem. Webb's just going to manage this thing in second and that's fine for the points. No problem. We'll go into the, the final two rounds with Webb up 10. No big deal. And then, yeah, Roxon makes a huge mistake, has a crash, which I think he was still fine. He still had a lead. All he had to do was just maintain. He didn't have to go back into the, you know, 136s or whatever, like his fastest lap. That was unnecessary. Just manage the race to the end, and he could not do it. He couldn't do it. He was jumping through the whoops. Go find me how many times in Ken Roxon's career that he's jumped through the whoops. I'll wait because I can't tell you one time that his move was to jump 3-3-3-3-3 through the whoops. He does not do that. That is not in his skill set. Like he just, that's never him. That's Cooper Webb. That's Marvin Muscan. That's what those guys do. And they do it because they have been forced to, right? They have run out of, I don't want to say run out of talent. That has a negative connotation, but they haven't, the comfortability of blitzing has gone away from them. So they've been forced into jumping. That's never Roxon. That's never Tomac. That's never Jason Anderson. Those guys just don't do that. And you saw Roxon go from, running away with it. He has a crash, which wasn't even a big deal, barely crashed. And then he just falls into this survival mode of jumping through the whoops. And yeah, his lead gets eaten to nothing because what happens is he breathed life into Cooper Webb because Webb had settled. Webb was like, yeah, this is, in my opinion, Webb was like, yeah, this is over. He couldn't even really see Roxanne anymore. Like Roxanne had checked out. 
and then Roxon goes down and, and he's, you know, a first, the first thing that happens, okay, you guys aren't, I, I know most of you haven't been in this situation, but the first thing that happens is you hear the crowd, the crowd goes crazy. So for Webb, he's like, what happened? Right. He hasn't gotten to that section yet. What happened? Then he sees Roxon like really close to him. He's like, Roxon crashed. Like this is my moment. And his adrenaline goes through the roof. He gets really confident all of a sudden. And it's this inverse effect where now Roxon's bleeding and Roxon's bleeding and Webb has just gotten this shot of adrenaline. And man, you know, the ball is rolling uphill and downhill inversely for each guy. And you could just see it unfolding, man. Mentally, Ken Roxon was just unable to withstand the pressure. And we've seen it time and time again with, with he and Webb. When they get together and it's who can handle the pressure and who, you know, who has it on the last few laps, it's always Webb. It's almost always Webb. We have seen Roxon handle it a couple times, but by and largely, Webb gets the best of him. And Webb went into some other dimension the last few laps. He was clicking off 137s at the end, which I don't know that he did 137s the whole race. It's certainly not within 10 laps or 10 minutes anyway of when he dropped back there. You know, that battle that was raging behind him with Plessinger and Tomac, they were doing 39s and 40s and Webb just went, okay, it's go time. He starts blitzing the whoops faster than he had all day and drops into a 137. And I think Roxon was just like, I, ha- I-, I have nothing. Like he couldn't answer. He just could not answer. And yeah, Webb made a big mistake on the last lap and whatever, but it had already kind of been decided by then, man. It just unbelievable effort by Webb. Just, ah, you feel so bad for Roxon, but at the same time, if you want to win and you want to be the best, you have to be able to make it happen in that scenario. You've got to, you've got to be able to stand up and handle the pressure and absorb it and fight back and get back, you know, get your heart rate down and get back on your pace. And you certainly have to be willing to blitz the whoops. And I think Kenny, in the end, I think he was scared. I think he was scared to blitz the whoops. He was scared to crash and do something stupid. And I can't blame him, right? He's been through hell. He's had injuries. He's had, what, 20 surgeries on his arm or whatever. I get it. But also, if you want to win this championship and you want to beat Cooper Webb, there's no room for fear. There's just not. That's just the world, and this that's how Supercross works is fear can't be a part of it. Not to be the best in the world, not in that class, and not at that level. Just can't do it. So tough one for Kenny. I don't know how you swallow that one and just wake up Sunday morning and, and feel any sort of confident. It's just mentally devastating for Kenny, and I, I do. I really do feel bad for him, but at the same time, yeah, he, he – he made a big mistake at a time he couldn't make a mistake. And then he was unable to regain his composure when he had to. So that's kind of just what happens. Webb. I mean, what do you say? Best closer ever. Like he has to be at this point considered the best closer in the history of racing. And you could say, okay, Carmichael too, which I would, I would genuinely agree with that. Right. Carmichael was just mentally so tough. Like nobody wanted to face Carmichael in a heads up battle because he was, his will to win was just so strong. But each and every time that Cooper Webb does this, he is just asserting himself as that same level, right? When, if it's a heads up battle and it's the last lap, good luck to anyone trying to beat Cooper Webb 
in a duel. Like he just has, he's so cunning and he's always thinking three steps ahead. He knows where you're going to go. Perfect example where Webb passed Roxon. You see Webb, or excuse me, you see Roxon swing way out wide, right? And his plan there is to cut back underneath Cooper Webb and then blitz down the right side of the whoops. Unfortunately, Webb's too smart. Webb knows what he's going to do. So when Roxon swings out wide, Webb's like, okay, well, I'm, I'll take that line and then I'll cut back down where you're planning on going. And then what are you going to do? You're going to do nothing. You're just going to follow me. Exactly how it played out. And it just seems like Webb always has the answer for him every time. He just knows what you're going to do before you do it. And that's, that's just talent. That's championship level, uh, you know, thinking and racecraft. And it's, it's really impressive to watch. So congrats to Webb. He deserves it. You know, I don't, I don't think it was totally him. I think Roxon's default there uh, had a lot to do with it. You know, I, I think Roxon wins the race pretty easily without the crash. But for Webb, what are you going to do, right? You you saw an opportunity late. You were handed a chance, and you did everything you could to do you could to win the race. He dropped his lap times. He was he went from really mediocre in the whoops to absolutely the best in the whoops at the end of the race. And that's not something you see very often from Cooper Webb. So great job from him. Certainly looks like this is his championship. Now we're, you know, it's a 16 point gap with two rounds to go. And I think these two final rounds will suit Webb very well. I could see Tomac stealing a win. Remember how good he was in Salt Lake last year, but I don't, I don't think Webb cares about Tomac at this point. He's only worried about the 94 and I don't think after a race like that, there's much to worry about from the 94. So congrats to Cooper Webb. Uh, I think he's going to be your your uh, 2021 Monster Energy Supercross champion. So that's it for this week. Thank you, everybody, to, uh, to tuning in. We'll be in Utah. I fly down Saturday morning super early. And then luckily, I get to fly back right after the race on Saturday night. So I'll be in my bed on Friday and Saturday night, which doesn't happen for me very often. So I'm happy about it. You probably don't care, but uh, trust me when I tell you I'm I'm excited to to be able to do that. It was a long trip in Atlanta, 10 or 11 days, and uh, yeah, I was ready to get out of there. I did have a great trip. I want to thank everybody who had a part in giving me a great trip down there, but man, it is nice to be home. So we'll talk to you uh, next Sunday. I'll be back here in Boise, and we will be, uh, yeah, we'll be celebrating one round to go. See you.